How you guys doing? This is Dane Owls with another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show in which me and my wonderful co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down wrestling professional professional wrestling news very professionally and uh, talk about and review events that happen with wrestling. So, of course, like I said, I am, um, you know, joined by Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, Chris? Doing good, man. Uh, I, I think uh, I can speak for everyone when feeling a little cooped up, but uh, outside of that, no, no real complaints. Just been working from home and uh, watching wrestling here and there, obviously, and uh, looking forward to talking about it. How, how's your week been? Good, and I kind of agree with you. Actually, when you mentioned that, I think my eye twitched. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I kind of tend to agree with you. Um, hey, I, I can deal with it. You know, um, there's documentaries about tigers to, to, to get past the time. There's documentaries <laughs> on Marines uh, that also you can use to get back to time. Uh, but, yeah. And um, speaking of which, I guess we should kind of go into our first topic. Um, so, basically, Vice TV uh, last year came out with a docu- docuseries, and we kind of reviewed a lot of it. I think we, we reviewed the whole season uh, last time, and you know, since we have less to be able to talk about with wrestling, we're going to throw in for season two of Dark Side of the Ring. So we got released the first episode a couple days ago early. Uh, it was the first part of a two-parter, almost two hours, uh, centered around the events of the loss of Eddie Guerrero, tragic loss, and then followed by the descent of madness of his best friend, uh, professional wrestler Chris Benoit. And um, just, I can't say, especially listening to Chris Jericho, talking to Jericho, he had the producers on, and I, I apologize, I don't know their names, uh, but they did a great job. You know, there will be stuff that's more lighthearted, they said. Uh, Brawl for All is going to be one of those episodes where it's not so serious, but they're trying to go into some of these serious stories involving professional wrestling, uh, like the Von Erichs. And uh, other stuff that they covered last year, the death of Bruiser Brody, the death of Gino Hernandez. And uh, I would definitely recommend going to check out that interview. You know, Chris did all the narrating for season two. And the first episode obviously dealt with his, you know, best friend and one of the closest guys there was to him of, of Benoit and the un- terribly tragic um God, homicide, suicide with him and his wife, Nancy Benoit, and their their child, Daniel. Um, Really heavy stuff, first episode. And like I said, it was a two-parter. First half really dealt with the relationship with him and Eddie and uh, really went delved in deep into Eddie's 
passing and how that really starts spiraling things out of control for Chris. They go into the issues of, of possible things related with steroids. He had a remarkable uh, amount of testosterone found in him. And also the biggest key factor, uh, the one that wasn't really blown up from the media until afterwards, uh, when Chris Nowinski and they, they basically, they went through his brain and found out that he had ridiculous CTE uh, issues and was one of the unfortunate key components. I guess you could say the, uh, the half glass uh, full sort of mentality of that becoming a huge issue with athletes in general. Uh, they talked about it really beforehand. They didn't really understand CT and, and the damage that the brain was getting in any sports. Uh, you know, obviously wrestling with chair shots and with football, you know, the helmets getting smashed together. There were three football players. They didn't really name who, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys that are football fans know who they are, but maybe you don't. But two of them committed suicide after brain damage issues through playing football and one uh you know started hearing voices once schizophrenic and then drove uh in a huge chase with cops until he crashed on oncoming traffic on the highway and burst into flames you know and that's fucking terrible the whole thing with benoit really pushed that and now like i said after after wrestling almost completely got destroyed for it after already being this ridiculous sideshow if you will this definitely exposed things and really turned it into a very negative uh, light. Everyone seems to be a lot different about certain things, much more educated, much more intelligent. And, uh, you know, chair shots to the head, uh, you know, in WWE, they're not allowed. AEW, they've attempted them. One got screwed up, but they do more the style in which you kind of place the, the chair going sideways uh, and kind of nick the top of the head with it as opposed to just nailing them with it right on top of their brain. You know, it doesn't matter if you take a mallet and try to thin it down. That's still a steel chair. And uh, the, basically, there's no way you can say you can gimmick a chair 100%. And I think a lot of them were ungimmicked regardless. And that was a badge of honor. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you kind of open up on your general thoughts about this, Chris, and then we'll kind of go into the documentary itself but uh i thought it was really well done i know that you were kind of apprehensive and i think i was and a lot of fans were too that they were going to go into too many of the dark things but the connection of getting nancy's sister and and getting david benoit and how chris jericho kind of brought them together and they were able to deal with grief with this and they're going to tackle another heavy thing with owen hart you know, in his passing at the end of the season. And they have Martha Hart for the first time talking about the events herself and their son. You know, it seems like they're doing it the right way, if that makes sense. Maybe not the way WWE would want it, but, you know, they're they're actually, it's, it's more of like a therapeutic thing for the individuals involved. Do you feel that way? And how do you feel about the first episode, the two-parter about Chris Benoit? Well, my worry was it was going to be very heavy-handed when uh, the guy, when I heard that the guy involved was the same person who wrote the the basically the book of this, which was Ring of Hell, um, was one of the people involved. And he shows up kind of in the second episode, which I guess you know we'll hit that here in a bit. But he shows up, and his book was kind of uh, very nitty-gritty, 
in, in dark. So I was wondering how much they were going to lean into it. I think they did it as tasteful as you possibly could. Um, I mean, it is a very, very tragic story, kind of from beginning to end, starting with, you know, the death of Eddie Guerrero. Chris, did we lose you? Fade Bill. Uh, I don't think so. I'm still here. Can you not hear me? You kind of uh, dipped out for a split second. Sorry Sorry about that. Am Am I back? Uh, I mean, you're kind of coming up a little bit out of or underwater-ish, you know, that whole sound, but I can still hear your sentences. Okay. Um, let's see if I can adjust that. Sound better now. Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, it, my worry was that it was going to come off very, very heavy-handed, uh, especially with the guy who wrote... Basically, it's not really a biography, but um, to, to some extent, he wrote a whole novel about the story, which is called Ring of Hell, which is a read um, specifically about what transpired that weekend. So when I found out he was going to be involved, knowing that they had tried to make a movie about this in the past, I was a little worried he was going to come off very heavy handed with lots of nitty gritty details. They kind of saved all of that for the second part, and it wasn't as extreme as I thought it was going to be. Um, obviously, it's it's almost a tale. It's almost two different stories. You have the story of Chris Benoit and his good friendship with Eddie and how that affected him and kind of put him on the road to what we were going to see on top of uh, them talking about his work ethic and how much he dedicated and punished himself even when he made a mistake in the ring. Um, basically showing what his work, his give-it-all mentality in the ring may have led to some of the CTE problems, which they allude to um, and speak of in, in the second part of the documentary. I will say that Jason Eisner is uh, he's the director and producer. I think he's done a great job with these so far. I've really enjoyed um, the first season and, and what he's done now. And if you've never seen it, Hobo with a Shotgun, um, he's the director of that, also the writer. He also did some writing on Grindhouse, and uh, I think he even directed VHS 2, if I'm remembering correctly. So that's kind of like what he's known for outside of this uh, series, but I think they've done a very good job with it so far, and I was really pleased to see, you know, uh, Chavo Guerrero being so involved because a lot of the stuff does pivot around him, even in that biography that I spoke of. Uh, Chavo was unfortunately kind of tethered to this thing and then came out and cut a, a weird promo, not knowing what was going on on Monday Night Raw. So this thing has been tied to him for for a long time. Um, but Chris Jericho and, and, and Dean Malenko both being there, I think it gave Give you a kind of feel of of how the people that were close. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the group was called. Revolution is that their group from uh, when they came all? They all came over from WCW together, essentially. Radicals. I the think. radicals. There you go. Yeah. So uh, the fact that most of the radicals were there, I guess you know, without Perry Saturn, um, kind of hearing their their take on it and uh, hearing Jericho's take, and, and we've heard him talk about this in the past. I kind of wish they could have clipped some more things in with uh, maybe Dave, Dave Meltzer's interviews with with Jericho and uh, Brian Alvarez's interviews with Jericho in the past, because I think that if you go back and listen to some of those talks, talk, talk uh, was it talk is Jericho episodes with those guys. Um, as well as some of the ones he's had with, uh, obviously, Chris's son. And I think there was, there to me, this is so, so hard to wrap this into two documentaries because there's the aftermath piece, which we only kind of got a little bit of. Um, 
but yeah, very interesting documentary. I thought it was was well done. Uh, do you want to start maybe just talking about? I, I guess just give me your thoughts on what I've said, and we we can go from there. Hopefully, I'm not underwater still. No, man, you sound great. And it's uh, Sandra Tofalani is who I was thinking of. That's um, woman, aka Nancy Benoit's uh, sister, in it. Uh, it was. Oh, man, I got emotional throughout this, especially like towards the end with Eddie, um, especially hearing, you know, Vicky start breaking down about it. And a lot of stuff made me upset with the second half. Um, Just I mean, I wasn't even a wrestling fan anymore at the time. And this hit me like a bunch of bricks. I remember it like it's yesterday. This is something I just remember. I was over at my old uh, beach house in Daytona visiting with my parents. I was in college. And I kind of strayed away a bit from wrestling. I started watching more UFC. It was right about the beginning of it. And I find out the details of this is shortly after I found out about Eddie. And that hit me um, of what happened. It's like no one, no one wanted to believe. And I mean, so I Sanders already been on Jericho and I, I wish kind of, I wish that they could have gotten some words from Kevin Sullivan, uh, not for him to defend himself, but it's like, you know, a lot was said about their relationship and he was, he said that he wouldn't comment that was on there, but, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate, but a lot of people blamed him. There was big conspiracy theories based on the weird calls that both Malenko and Chavo got. People just made this into their own work, basically, to try to get around the fact that one of their favorite wrestlers, and maybe me even included, could do such heinous disgusting things uh you know and finding out the details in this oh man and just i mean chris i'll I'll just put it this way like you know i i guess i i had heard something about the gym that he hung himself and that he put them on to uh i thought they were actually in the gym with them with two bibles um but no, in this duration of time, you know, I, I knew it was a weekend in which it happened. I didn't realize that Chris killed them and then lived in the house for two more days. And this is right after a big barbecue they had. Um, pretty much a huge fight that happened with him and Nancy right after everyone left. And just the details that, I, I mean, it's like I don't even want to talk about it because it disgusts me so much. But, I mean, I, we're all mature adults. He basically took Nancy, duct taped her hands, and then used phone cord to strangle her to death while he had her knee in her back and broke her back at the same time while strangling her. And then the next day afterwards, he went, gave Daniel a couple of Xanax and smothered him in his sleep. And then lived, looked up easiest ways to kill himself, uh, you know, while hanging, basically snap his neck and biblical stories about sacrificing sons and just my god man i mean you know i want to i want to be where david is and i think a lot of people want to be and that's that's i mean the ct the the information really backs it up that what happened to him throughout the course of time eddie's situation snapped maybe the whole chemical flow within his brain and the damage that he already had mixed with stress mixed with probably exhaustion all of that Sandra listed at the end, you know, mixed with steroid abuse, all of that collectively, he friggin' lost it. And 
I, I just can't believe it, drank himself into oblivion and killed his family. And, uh, so, so messed up to hear. And then I feel, you know, I feel bad for Jim Ross being the representative at the funeral, um, for WWE basically, and just not really getting good looks at all. And, you know, you can kind of understand why, but it sucks because it's not like he wants to be there for WWE. He just want, he wanted to be at, you know, the funeral of, of Daniel and Nancy and no one went to his funeral. It was very private. And, you know, it's like, can we just, I guess, believe that the CTE, all that stuff really caused this and not think that someone who was as loving as everyone said, we saw so much video footage could do such a monstrous thing. Yeah, I mean, I, just going back to how I remember it, which this was 2007, this is probably right before I graduated, I specifically remember the Monday Night Raw tribute to Chris Benoit and hearing everything that was happening throughout the day. Well, like, as while that show was going on, Monday Night Raw, because we live here in Georgia, 5 o'clock news, a lot of uh, clips, I, I think even Russ Spencer still works for Fox you started to see those clips in the documentary and it just came flooding back to me because almost as soon as raw was over, you started to hear what actually kind of transpired. So it went from this weird event where I'm saddened. Cause I think one of my, like my first thought obviously was, it was something tragic happened. Like they were shot or someone broke into their house or something crazy like that happened. Um, and I th- think that was a lot of the wrestlers thoughts as well. Um, but happens you know throughout that is they show you like no and like it came very very soon you know late sunday night after ww or late monday night um you know when the details started getting reported the weird thing is is there was the the pay-per-view that they spoke of was the ecw pay-per-view which i believe crispin wall was supposed to either retain the ecw title or win the ecw title and uh friend of the show actually johnny uh, johnny mundo himself was actually uh, at that point was johnny nitro he ended up winning the title because of chris benoit's absence so they went on with that match um, just to kind of play into what was going on in the wrestling world but i remember the next day the monday kind of like the black monday of wrestling everything coming out um and everyone latching onto the fact that it was steroid abuse and pointing the finger at wwe for their wellness policy and, and and they talked about that in the documentary, but they didn't go into kind of everything where they had all these people, former wrestlers coming out of the woodwork, like Mark Miro, for instance, was a big, pretty much on every news show. Um, Ultimate Warrior, I think, was on a bunch. There was just a bunch of people coming out and immediately bashing WWE for steroids. And, and not to say that wasn't a part of it, but that's something they kind of didn't go into as much, uh, obviously, because the documentary wasn't about wwe and and kind of their reaction to this but um it was a big part of wrestling business and i remember it was a huge deal where they thought you know this could actually be the end of vince if they start bringing up another steroid case and how far is this thing going to go and and what's going to happen from there um but yeah i I mean i I remember that all kind of like vividly with the just classic Benoit matches and everyone kind of giving their thoughts and feelings about him. And it's still weird knowing that the very next day, my opinion of Chris Benoit in general changed drastically. Um, I like, there's a great segment in the documentary where 
they were talking about to, to JR, they asked him the classic question where whether, you know, does Benoit deserve to be in the uh, WWE Hall of Fame or Wrestling Hall of Fame? And he just emphatically said no. He's like, from a business standpoint and from, you know, a fan perspective, you can't necessarily put this someone with this tragic of an end into your Hall of Fame and think it's okay. You can't separate the body of work from this tragedy. And I think that's, uh, and we've talked about that on the show here before. It's just one of those things that's kind of impossible to separate. Um, there's a lot of good interviews with Chavo. I think Jericho's uh, Jericho's interviews were really great in the documentary. It's just very solemn. And uh, the gritty stuff that I was talking about that I, I thought they did actually did a good job of not being as heavy-handed on was uh, in, in the specific where you were talking about uh, kind of the way he killed Nancy. In that book, it's it's even more detailed, more graphic. It was something that I was a little worried about, that it was going to get too crime documentary. But I think overall, they did a good job of, of handling it. And uh, the first, I mean, the first episode, I got emotional quite a few times just because I was, I'm such a, still to this day, I mean, huge Eddie Guerrero fan, always was growing up as well. And you know this, you've um, heard me praise Eddie Guerrero tons and tons, but uh, like, hearing them talk about their friendship and how Eddie got Chris religious and, and then praying together and this bond that they had that ended and kind of this tragic of how Benoit was just not okay. Um, after that, to the point where Vicky's talking about like him just laying in beds, Eddie's bed and crying and, and some of that stuff, uh, kind of just shows you part of the descent, not all of it. I think it's a culmination of things. No one wants to believe that, their hero or their favorite wrestler or someone that was considered a good guy beforehand could do something like this, but it's, you know, it's not just wrestling. It's happened in multifacets of, of, you know, uh, different forms of media. It's just, it's crazy. It's very, very sad. It was amplified to the 15th degree, like you said, because you tie it to a wrestling sideshow uh, in a time period where Vince was kind of, has already been going through the attitude error and all the heat that he had gotten off XFL and, and all of the, the press interviews that he had had this wellness policy that he had put in place that didn't work. So uh, it's, it's a really good watch for sure. Yeah, man. And even the hall of fame stuff was very telling. And I've heard JR say the same thing and his reasoning behind it. If you take Chris, he, he believes that if you took Chris passed and asked him now if he wanted to be in the hall of fame with what happened in that time period and what happened to his brain and what he did besides you know i mean doing that to your family in a professional sense he almost killed the wrestling industry i mean and he completely that any type of involvement in any type of hall of fame would be overshadowed and the people that would have to deal with it would have to be sandra her family you know, and also Daniel on his side. And I think that was really good uh, that he's, you know, willing to admit this. And that's how a lot of people are. And with Jericho, I think he's right. I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, one person that's given a lot to professional wrestling as far as being one of the best female valets managers, but like the heel style, I I mean, her and Sensational Sherry were the two mean girl, like, styled one like that. They got physical. They were extremely great on the mic. You know, they brought presence with them. And 
it sucks that it's always talked about that can Chris Benoit ever, which I mean, at this point, it's like it just should be noted that that's not something possible. But, you know, it's the fact that Nancy's not considered with being woman. And it's like even Chris Jericho was trying to say was about to say Nancy Benoit. But it's like, God, even saying the name, you know, in that type of fashion would be hard. But. You know, woman herself should be involved, I think, in the WWE Hall of Fame and many wrestling Hall of Fames if she's not. And she and her whole entire body of work within wrestling kind of gets erased from the picture due to the severity of the situation. Very un- very unnecessary, I would say. Do you agree? I, I agree. I, won't, I can't really speak on her body of work outside of being Kevin Sullivan's manager and then being woman as the valet for Chris Benoit. So the things that she had done before then, um, I, I can't speak of highly, but it's, it's only just because of lack of knowledge, um, more so than anything else when it comes to that. But it is something you could look at. I mean, if I'm sure if Chris Jericho is saying that her body of work was that good and she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, if I went back and watched it, <laughs> it's probably true. I remember her being really good in the role between Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit leading up to their kind of false count anywhere match where Kevin Sullivan actually did this great, this one of the reasons I remember the match so fondly is Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan take turns trying to pin each other's shoulders to a wall, which technically your shoulders are down. So the ref is like counting against this bathroom wall and they're like dunking each other in the toilet and all this crazy shit. But I remember the buildup for that. And, um, specifically that match with her kind of being the in-between manager which as we know and they talk about in the documentary is kind of what led to uh her and kevin sullivan's divorce and uh her getting together with chris yeah that's that's one of those crazy situations very similar to the uh edge um matt hardy and Lita situation where a work becomes a shoot like you work yourself into a shoot when it becomes actual reality as opposed to being a part of this, you know, wrestling performance, but just the relationship of some of those guys, like I would take, it's not, no, maybe Perry Saturn was close to him, but it, it, it seems like there was a bond between certain individuals that worked together in Mexico and in Japan even, and then came to ECW and Nitro. And the four, I would say the biggest ones are Malenko, Jericho, Guerrero and Benoit and then I'd probably throw Ray and Chavo in there as well being a part of that camaraderie and maybe Perry Saturn too but I mean those guys they seem still very very close um you know Chavo I I should say Chavo Malenko and uh and and Chris but it's it's, it's got to be hard for them. And I think that, you know, just like David, who we'll talk about in a second, too, I think he did a tremendous job in this. It must have been really hard to talk about the stuff involving his father. You know, they did a really good job of keeping it together. Uh, Chavo, I think the only thing that really got to him was something that I think a lot of us found out about at the same time, that Eddie basically died in his arms, choking on his own breath, basically. And, uh Man, very, very hard subject to talk about, but David Benoit, he's been in the news recently. He, you know, has always toyed around, but still hasn't come around 100% of wanting to get involved in wrestling. 
He's been partially trained by Lance Storm. He's been partially trained by Chavo. He's gotten a lot of advice, apparently, from Chris Jericho and Chavo, who uh, on the documentary were basically two of the only people that kept up with him after all the tragic events with his father, which fucking sucks. Also hearing that WWE really had nothing uh, for Nancy's family, not saying that they owe them anything, but like no type of even support. Um, and maybe, maybe they're just like less, they're more, they seem more aware, I guess now, because I mean, Raven who's talked shit about them so much goes off on a bender, gets in trouble and they send them to rehab and shit like that. Like, and they've done that with other people that have been involved with wrestling, but apparently they didn't give anything towards her. And this was a really a story about the two of them and their connection coming back, which I thought was really beautiful. Like I said, Chris, Jericho was involved in getting them together. He had Sandra previously, who was one of the people to nix the whole Kevin Sullivan involvement conspiracy theory and was like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sisters with Nancy. You know, I hate to tell you, but Chris did this. His brain was very messed up. He did this. And that's what people have to accept. Kevin Sullivan didn't do anything. And she, was, she said this about a year or two ago. And here, David, as of recently, been talking to people, like I said, I want, I, I really, I, I'm going to double down on, I don't think he should go to like AEW right now. He has to get trained and actually be in the industry a bit. Hey, it took Brian Pillman crazy, a very short amount of time to get to where he's, he's at. And, you know, I'm not saying David wouldn't be able to pick up the industry well, but I'd love to see him do something. I don't know if he's going to be able to use that name. But even after this, I feel like if he really is dedicated and wants to, which is completely up to him, you know, he could do something in the industry. And I think that he kind of he deserves to, you know, it's not his fault that all this shit happened with his dad and whether or not he's kind of partially trying to clear the family name, if, if you will. You know, I just think that was unfortunate that besides being like what he's gonna go with wrestling like having that whole aura just just he had to do a bu bullying for years afterwards and i man i watched the after show they had for it and they had chavo on there and they showed a couple of clips that weren't on there people fucking messaged chavo and d malenko with the 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 text message that they got the weird text message they got from chris about their dogs being let up and it's like what the fuck is wrong with people to do that and to verbally attack David in any sort of way. Like he said, he used to do live videos online. He just got sick of it because everyone, one asshole has to bring up his dad. And it's just very unfortunate. Certain stuff, you know, Chavo, he even said it. He glorified Chris. So did so many other people, John Cena, Steve Austin, people in the industry, because they had no idea what happened. And it's like a lot of this, to a wrestling fan or to someone involved within this, I feel like this whole thing was a slap in the face. It just, you can't believe it. Like, honestly, Benoit, he would be on my top 10 favorite wrestlers of all time, but he will never be on my top 10 if that makes sense. And that's to say that he was one of my favorite wrestlers, but I can't, I can't, I can't overlook it. And I can still watch matches with him in it and I can separate the body of work, but. It's it's fucking hard. Anyways, I know I didn't really give you any direction, but any comments um, based on what I was just saying? 
Yeah, I mean, I would encourage people to go back and listen to us discuss uh, David Benoit and, and what he was attempting to do coming back, because I think there was a lot of good good meat there um, where we had went down the road, and I still have the opinion of maybe not using the name, um, just because, one, it's a huge wrestling shadow, even if you take away the tragedy uh, to, to step out from behind. And two, you're always going to get associated with that tragedy using that last name, um, which is unfortunate, but it's just a route that I would like, you know, it's that's I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, 20 years from now, people are still going to be talking about this. I mean, for fuck's sake, we're still talking about the Montreal screw job, and that's like a fucking drop in a bucket compared to what this was. Um, so. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I would chart carefully. The Chris Jericho, uh, the Chris Jericho stuff, bringing them together, I thought was great. I also thought it was very telling, um, kind of where Chris was at because Jericho, he, he said multiple times that him and not 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 that they'd have fallen out, but he wasn't as close with Chris when all of this stuff started going down. That they had kind of, not to say they split ways, but after Eddie, they weren't as close. Um, and he said that on multiple podcasts and. and Played into it on this interview as well. Um, just really sad all around. I mean, it's always been very tragic. And obviously, the documentary just brought up things I hadn't thought about in forever. So there was definitely a couple times there where I got a little emotional thinking about two of my favorite wrestlers who died I don't know, almost a year apart. Uh, very different circumstances, but they kind of went hand to hand together going back to WCW. And uh, obviously, one ending in complete tragedy for. You know, families and uh, wrestling fans and just kind of everyone um, and out of nowhere. Um, there was one really chilling thing where someone actually brought up that he, he may have even been thinking about just going to wrestle even after all that, which is just fucking insane to think about. But it does kind of show you what the mindset was. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> it's just a it's a weird thing to talk about. I mean, like I said, I, I thought the documentary was put well together. I don't I don't ever foresee Chris Benoit getting into the WWE Hall of Fame. Um I think that, you know, if you look at what Jericho was saying about woman being in there, there's there's you have the right to put her in there, but then it becomes a fan spectacle where people are just going to trudge this up just because we know what we know how what wrestling fans can do and be as far as online goes um yeah just a just sad overall I, it's really great to see that that you know this, the family was able to get back together through chris uh, chris jericho to some extent and uh there was that really emotional hug they have there towards the end of the second episode which i thought was great and just for them to even try to tackle this on this show um granted you know not everyone was involved not everyone that was involved was able to be there a lot of people are under wwe contracts still um seeing a lot more involvement from guys with AEW, maybe with chris jericho doing this i think is going to give some of these stories a little bit more leg than they had in the first season so that's something i look forward to on some of these upcoming episodes but yeah i just uh definitely a uh <laughs> kind of a dark one to watch um but but well done and not as heavy handed as I thought it was going to be. No, I, I thought they did an excellent job really um, 
doing it very tastefully. Like they went into some dark stuff, but I think all the people that were involved did great. Um, you know, Dean, his wife, Vicky, uh, David, Sandra, uh, all the wrestlers, obviously, and they. It just was a. It was a very well done documentary. I love the way that they do it as a filmmaker. You know, the reenactments. It can get very cheesy in certain documentaries, but they try to make it so it's like fuzzy. So it kind of reenacts it. It just. It just looks. I. I. I like. I like the look and their style of uh, editing. Um, and uh, just really impressive stuff. Uh, really. Just extremely sad subject matter, obviously. But for many of the wrestlers, I think for a lot of us fans, it was kind of a little bit therapeutic to kind of like, I don't know, see a lot of people that were involved, be able to get their story and get all the facts and not hear little bits and pieces from the Internet. Uh, Because Sandra's testimony on Jericho's podcast two years ago was, I think, to me at least at the time, the closest thing that we would get to truth. And then he was on obviously wrestling observer talking more about it in depthly. And, you know, I think this is kind of obviously Chavo, everyone it's, it's messed up a lot of those guys because that was one of their best friends, but uh, tremendous job. Also tremendous job on, um, Chris Nowinski who, you know, I don't think will ever go down as a very well-remembered wrestler, but he was one of the first tough enough winners um, he had a gimmick where he basically was a little bit of like a pompous version of himself where he went to Harvard and due to a couple concussions decided to really start going into studying uh, CT, what that does for the brain, uh, went back to school um, and now that's his field. And when he was quitting, he even told Chris uh, or he talked to Chris and Chris you know, was asking him like, oh, so you're writing a book about CTE? And he said, yes. There's a couple of weeks, unfortunately, before all, everything happened. And he goes, I have a lot of questions about that. How many concussions have you had? And Chris was like, I think about five or six, is I think what he said. Might be a little bit higher, might be a little bit lower. But obviously, nowhere near to what Chris Benoit said, where he said, I can't even count however many, you know, you get someone like Rob Van Dam, and luckily through you know stem cell and a lot of other stuff, he said that he's at least had over a hundred of them. Um, and it's like these wrestlers, man, it's crazy. But Chris is kind of like, you know, everyone knows DDP and his efforts within health-related stuff. But obviously, you know him, and you connect him with him being a big wrestler. Chris wasn't didn't get that big before he had to retire uh, due to concussions. But the time and work he's put in. I think has helped out just athletes in general and just a general consensus to being a little more aware about any type of traumatic head injury causing CTE. So uh, any closing statements about the documentary before we talk about some of the other episodes this season? No, no, I mean, I would definitely, uh, I I second your thoughts on Chris Nowinski. Um, it's not just it's obviously not just wrestling that he's been a huge part of the NFL. Um, some of the player protection stuff that we see nowadays and, and uh, the NFL trying to do more to protect the player to some extent. Um, the NHL, obviously, just any hard hitting sport. Uh, he's been a factor. And I would I would hope that more people would go the route of, you know, donating their brain if they're in wrestling or football or, or 
NHL just because it furthers the studies and um, obviously it gives you a chance to hopefully prevent some of the things. Um, but yeah, great documentary overall. Highly recommend watching it. If you're a Benoit fan, if this is something you haven't thought about in a long time, hell, even if you're a Guerrero fan, um, to some extent, I say definitely check it out. It's worth a watch. Uh, and if you haven't seen it uh, by the same director, go watch Hobo with a Shotgun. It's a pretty great flick. Absolutely. And uh, so to close out the conversation about this, and we're going to be like, a, you know, realistically, obviously everything that's going on, um, there is less news for us to really delve into. So we'll be we'll be covering this because the I'm sure these episodes will be fun, if not insightful, to be able to talk about. Obviously, I wouldn't talk, consider this last review uh, fun, but to go over future episodes. We had The Life and Crimes of New Jack. Um, hearing the creators talk to Chris Jericho on his podcast, this will definitely be delving with the, the ones that we, we know about, the, the major events involving him. And uh, it was very chilling for, for what the creators said and for Chris Jericho of how nonchalant he was about a lot of these incidents, um, whether it is throwing that guy off, uh, you know, to hit the cement or you know or the table spots that he did or i forgot what it's called but where he basically stabbed that one guy yeah this type of shit happened that's new jack uh but then we're going to do the brawl for all which is apparently a fun episode crazy concept okay you have this boxing competition and the whole concept you're going to let the guys go out there and it's going to be you know it's not going to be staged you're going to let them actually fight each other and Dr. Death, Steve Williams, it's to put him over, but Bart Gunn, of all fucking people, knocks him out. And what does he get for winning? Completely shunned by WWE and his ass kicked by Butterbeam on the next pay-per-view. Uh, Jimmy Snuka and the death of Nancy Argentino. Obviously, a lot of people know about that. Jimmy's involved with the murder of a woman. That's why you don't hear his name a lot in WWE. The assassination of Dino Bravo. Uh, Dino Bravo was a French-Canadian wrestler from Montreal. He got involved with the mafia when his wrestling career took a dip and was found dead with a bunch of bullet holes in him. Uh, David Schultz, who knocked a reporter so hard in the ear, busted his eardrum and got himself blackballed in wrestling and was pegged as being one of the big Stone Cold Steve Austin. Let's just say this. And he didn't know a lot about him, but he's talked to people and everyone says like, Austin, he was you before you were you. He just never was able to get to that level because of what the fuck happened. Herb Abrams, who was a promoter who had a crazy concept for promotion and some legal shit ended up being with, you know, his death. Um, the Road Warriors, uh, everything that's related with them and obviously Hawk's death uh, and just how hard hitting they were, um, both in the ring and outside the ring partying wise. And then Owen Hart. And the Over the Edge pay-per-view 1999 where Owen Hart tragically passed away uh, by falling. Uh, this is the first time we'll ever have heard uh, his son and his wife actually be able to give their side of the story. Um, not, I'm kind of, I, I have no idea if Brett's going to be involved in that because apparently he was involved with the Montreal Screwjob episode. Didn't really want to do it to begin with. Didn't really like his portrayal in it. Or he didn't like that, I think, Scott Hall and a couple other people were in it. Um, so I, am hoping that he's involved with this one about his brother, but who knows either way, Chris, that's some stuff to keep us talking for a minute. Um, what episode are you excited about, you know, uh, hearing the most next? 
Honestly, the uh, the the David Schultz episode is going to be great because I, I sat in on a and A with him at a wrestling convention where he talked about everything that went on, uh, specifically the fact that Vince McMahon's the one who told him to go over and get in this guy's shit for trying to expose the business. Obviously, he took it a little too far by smacking the absolute dog shit out of was it John Stossel, um, which is a great clip, by the way. Uh, Keep in mind, this is also the same time period that Hulk Hogan choked out. Uh, what was the guy's name from Law and Order SVU? Uh, damn, I can't think of the guy's name. Belzer. He choked out Belzer and dropped him on the stage. They got this is a time where they were still trying to protect the business to some extent. So there was a couple events like this. Um, but the weird thing about that Q and A was Eddie Mansfield was also a part of that Q and A. He was a tag partner, if I'm not mistaken, with Schultz. But he is also the person who went to 60 minutes to kind of spawn that interview. Um, and there's also some cool things about Schultz that happened after wrestling. Like he became a bounty hunter. <laughs> so there were some interesting stories that came out of that. So I kind of like to hear what, you know, a little bit, a uh, little bit more of those and, and kind of see all the footage put together of, of that. I think that'll be very interesting. The Gino Bravo stuff is, uh, it's going to be great. Brawl for all, I mean, I've heard the story like a thousand times, so I'm sure it'll be funny and there'll be lots of people making comments about it and it will be uh, pretty great. Um, I don't know. There's a bunch of good stories there, but probably the two that I would look you know, forward to the most is the David Schultz, um, just interview with him and, and having him on there and other wrestlers maybe of that time period that were around talking about that incident. And then um, the Gino Bravo one, just because it is kind of insane with the mafia tie-in. Um, reminiscent of uh, one of the ones that they did last year. Uh, the, I think it was the Gorgeous Gino that they did last Gino year. Hernandez. Yeah, so uh, that one was really great. So I, I feel like the Dino Bravo one could have some kind of the same feel. The Owen Hart one I, I'm looking forward to. I just don't know how much more of that, how much more you can get out of that story other than it being really, really rushed, tragic fuck up by WWE. That's the best way to put it. Um, and it will be great hearing the commentary from his wife and his son to see what they have to say, just because we've never heard it before. But uh, th- th- those two, specifically the David Schultz and the uh, Dino Bravo, I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing. Yeah, one one of my favorite ones from last time, honestly, was the Gino Hernandez story, and that's because I didn't know a lot about him. A cool little tidbit from the Jericho interview with the creators Apparently, one of them um, got a message from Mr. MJF. Uh, he didn't know a lot about Gino Hernandez until the, the documentary, and MJF has always been someone that's, obviously because of his age, has gone back to watch a lot of the heels that he's inspired by. So he let them know that he became a fan because of that documentary and that um, he's kind of used uh, uh, some of the stuff that he's seen Gino did. So... You know, I, I guess that's good in, in a way. Maybe Dino can get like a little more exposure towards people. So, you know, I remember Dino Bravo, but I'm sure a lot of fucking people don't. And maybe get inspiration from him like MJF did with Gino. I, I don't know what exactly very, very different type, types of wrestler. But, you know, what I'm saying, um, you know, these people, it, a lot of them are erased within wrestling. It's like something happens. Not Bruiser Brody, obviously, but. The last question for you, Chris, and I'm going to kind of name a couple that I would like to see. Um, You know, they were already going into, if you can do a season three, what would you do? And 
They they uh oh man I forgot actually the one that they suggested they wanted to do first it was another tragic wrestler death oh uh, Adrian Adonis and his passing uh, but I mean they said dream wise they'd love to do one about Vince McMahon specifically but you know that's going to be pretty fucking hard to do but if we go by some of the some of the themes you know what 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 can they go over. Um, on a third season, uh, one person I want them to revisit because it's like he was in the Bruiser Brody one trying to be in character still is, you know, some of the shady stuff I will say about Abdul the Butcher, uh, from back in the day that, you know, if, if, if stuff obviously would snuck, uh, it keeps on coming back up and, it's it's like no one really kind of talks about that, and he's been involved in some, uh, you know, I don't want I don't want to say murder or anything like that, but like there, there's there's lots of rumblings, there's lots of stories. Um, I mean, the thing is, it doesn't necessarily have to be tragic. Uh, actually, I'm gonna pass it to you so I can I can give myself like a break to think about a couple of them because I had a bunch and I don't remember any of them, Chris. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm going to say, you know, the Funks in general in Texas Territory because they did the Von Erics. I feel like you should do the Funks and kind of their time in wrestling, I think, would be a really fun one, maybe even a two-part one. Um, but also just one that would be kind of random just just because we don't – I don't know. we We've kind of gotten tidbits here and there, but like an Ultimate Warrior. Uh, <laughs> like an Ultimate Warrior one maybe about his rise and fall and WWF and then his return to WCW leading up to kind of his induction to the hall of fame and then dying pretty much the next day. Um, I think that would be very interesting, especially if you include some of his internet ramblings versus Hogan and uh, some of the things that's not looked uh, very <laughs> proudly upon when you think, think about the ultimate warrior, I think there's some, some good meat you could get out of that story. Plus, it's always fun just to have people talk about the warrior. It seems like. Yeah, uh, trust me, you could get a whole episode out of Ultimate Warrior. That's one that right off the top of my head. Uh, didn't really mean to do, but Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake the Snake Roberts, I think, would be a great person to focus on because he's arguably from his time period one of the best. Out of all the top names, but because of addiction, he was he he basically halted his career. He got out of shape. He had demons for years, in which he still could have been wrestling and 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 you know giving his mind, his brilliant wrestling mind, towards the industry again. And uh, I think that would be a very interesting story because by the time that he gets clean, and we've all seen the documentary. You know, his his time in wrestling has passed, and now he's being able to provide for it with AEW being a manager, obviously, for Lance Archer that we'll talk about later. But, I mean, he never got a heavyweight title. It, there's a lot of sad elements within what happened and just how bad that he got due to his past. And he's very, very open. He's been on these documentaries before, so I think that would be an interesting one. The Dynamite Kid, um, oh man, and just going back to the Benoit thing, the connection about back injuries and head injuries, 
about Harley Race kind of saying, like, you know, this kind of fucked up my head, this messed up parts of my back, don't do the headbutt, and then Dynamite Kid does it way more intense and ridiculous. He's in a wheelchair later on, and then Benoit ends up doing it along with chair shots and everything. And I'm sure Dynamite Kid and Harley both did that too. Just wrestlers are tough. But, yeah, I think, Chris, I would say um, Dynamite Kid, Jake the Snake Roberts, and maybe Junkyard Dog would all have, be pretty good documentaries that they could tap into. Yeah. I, I there's I mean, the one that I would really want, which they're not going to be able to do, um, is Paul Heyman. I think that would be a great one. I know they've done... We've seen stuff here and there produced by WWE on Paul Heyman, but if he wasn't under contract, having a full tell-all from Paul Heyman at this point with all of the ECW guys, I think could be a lot of fun um, because we've really only seen the WWE. Was it the was it the rise and fall of ECW or whatever, where it's kind of a documentary of people talking about Paul Heyman? Um, I think that would be interesting. I mean, obviously there's a bunch, right? I mean, wrestling been around since the the 20s like to me something on gorgeous george would be really cool um another great one would just be like haku and haku's family that (laughs) that wrestling family and some of the crazy shit that haku's done over the years would be really good but i mean i mean all all of these could be great i i would like to have maybe even just one that was 1990s japanese wrestling um there's just a bunch of good shit you can do. So hopefully they keep it up. I mean, there's there's billions of stories to tell, right? Wrestling, like I said, wrestling has been around since the. Well, I mean, as far as TV goes, since like what the 40s. So tons of tons of stories to tell. Yeah, and real quick before we go, I do want to say another thing, and maybe it wouldn't be up there, Ali, Chris, but I would I would love to see a series of documentaries about. Very, very old school wrestlers. I'm talking about, you know, your Frank Gotch, your George Hackenschmidt, your your Ed Strangler Lewis, Luthez. Uh, let's talk about Ricky Dozen, the North Korean wrestler that went over to Japan and not only helped out with the art of strong style wrestling, but contributed towards the formation of basically MMA that would come later on uh, with people like Carl Gotch. That's another name, you know. Um, Danny Hodge, some of these older wrestlers, these tough motherfuckers, Vern Gagne, I would love to see someone take a crack at them because I know a decent a bit about them, but, you know, especially like someone like, you know, you, you go all the way back to like Farmer Burns and then him uh, teaching his stuff that he learned to, to Frank Gotch and his feud with Vern G- or with, uh, with George Hackenschmidt. And a lot of those guys, it's like, Dave Metzler, give him a fucking call. I know that he'll talk for days about it. He'll narrate the whole entire fucking series. I promise you that. Kyle Gratch was, yeah, wonderful. He came to Japan in, I believe, 1942. Maybe you'd have to, like, try to, like, give him some, um, like, some type of amphetamine to stay on on target. But I'm sure you could do it. Anyways. um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess one more going out, just just because his career was so weird and he was... A, a huge influencer would be Hayabusa leading up to yeah. him becoming paralyzed in the ring and then like kind of semi becoming a rock star afterwards. I think that would be a very interesting one for sure. Absolutely. Good call. 
Um, Sabu's another one too, and his his uncle, his crazy uncle, the Sheik. I mean, there's a plenty of plenty of stuff for for seasons, and apparently, big reviews for the um, premiere. They got the biggest numbers on the channel in a long shot, apparently. So good for them. I look forward to seeing more Dark Side of the Ring, and let's talk about Monday Night Raw. Um, that will be not talked about in documentaries uh, going forward. Uh, it was fine. You know, I'm glad that they got the hint, and I thought NXT worked a hell of a lot better. Uh, just because if you're going to give me a lot of shit, give me wrestling. Give me wrestling or give me death. And uh, they, they had some decent stuff on this, but it was mostly obviously building up to WrestleMania, which apparently, guys, listen to this. WrestleMania is almost done, but we just don't even know it. They've been filming this week, and they plan on filming the rest of it by this weekend. I don't know what the hell that means. Uh, with all of it being pre-recorded, I hope some prick there doesn't leak all the shit because I don't want to find out beforehand. Just like let us have some form of entertainment if they're going to go with this wacky concept and not have it disturbed by some dickhead that has to tell Metzler or whoever the fuck out there in the ethers. Um, but yeah, Raw was Raw, and we'll go into it. So we start off with Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, who opened the show with Paul's usual promo about how Brock is going to be champion forever. This was about it. This was very straight to the point. Um, I'm surprised Brock Lesnar left his his uh, his farm in Canada to come the fuck over here. But hey, you know, it's just building up, I guess, stuff with him and Drew, and um. I, I mean, they got another week's worth of stuff, and I'm kind of like, at this point, if they had more than that, I don't even know the, how the hell they would stretch this out anymore. Uh, how do you like the opening with Paul Heyman and Brock Lester? <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good impersonation. I mean, it was your typical fare from Paul Heyman. Thought it was fine, built towards the match. Um, no real rebuttal from Drew McIntyre, just kind of an opening segment promo, and then we moved along, but I, I didn't really expect more than what it was. Then we got a uh, a pretty good um, a match that I don't think uh, once again I don't know how I I haven't caught this match, but Seth Rollins versus John Cena versus Brock Lesnar uh, for the title for Royal Rumble 2015 was shown in its entirety. Here's the thing: I get it. All these guys are involved in something. Still. If we're not going to give people newer stuff to kind of get them up to date like you did originally, we should probably do stuff that has involved like you did with Bray Wyatt and John Cena for these feuds. I'm sure you have stuff with Seth and Kevin from beforehand. I'm sure you have stuff with a lot of these type of incidents. Me and Chris, you know, I, I, I think showing the Goldberg-Brock Lesnar match, that makes a lot more sense. But it's whatever. Pretty damn good match. Seth Rollins was only in this match, I'm assuming, to be uh, the one getting pinned because neither guy wanted to get pinned. But, hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And Brock Lesnar won. And uh, this is the uh, match, correct me if I'm wrong, that he had with John Cena after he destroyed him at SummerSlam. Uh, I think John Cena had a match with him after that and beat him with a chain and a staircase. I want to say in between there. Sounds um, sexy. But the wasn't the build for this match that the whole thing with Seth Rollins had one money in the bank or one money in the bank and then beat Lesnar at Mania. 
and then was heel for a while. Did not lead to this match, or am I mixing up timelines? I'm not 100% sure. Okay. You're probably, so, you're probably good. Okay. Well, so, yeah. I mean, this was a good match, a good showing from all the guys that are there. Um, a good time filler. It's what, like a 15 minute match? So I see why they did it. I still think that, you know, out of matches to show with huge superstars, which show the fucking Lesnar, Lesnar Brock match or Lesnar Goldberg match one. Cause it's like seven minutes long. You don't have to do any commercials in between. And it was, it was pretty good. And it puts over kind of both guys are doing a clip between both, but I get why they did it. I mean, there's other Seth Rollins moments you could have shown you. There's tons of stuff you could have shown between him and Kevin Owens. You could have shown the, uh, the match where Kevin Owens kind of won the title by Triple H giving it to him, essentially. Because at that point, Seth was a babyface, and that led into Seth versus Triple H at Mania that year. I think that would probably be the one to peg, since that is the yeah. feud you're, you're trying to build. It also had Baron Corbin, who's going to be on your pay-per-view, and a bunch of other guys they are all going to be on the pay-per-view. So, I mean, I get what they're trying to do. I don't... It's just a weird... It's, sometimes it's a little weird on what matches they pick, but, you know, that's, that's the route they went. And uh, not a bad match show. It's fun to rewatch it. It's been a while since I saw it in 2015. So, not a bad choice. Absolutely. All right, so the next one really comes down to this. AJ Styles came out. He cut a great promo against The Undertaker, making fun of him. He brought up the whole entire Tiger Sanctuary thing. Just to really beat this home that he's going after basically Mark Calloway. He's trying to strip away the mystique. And he's probably going to get his ass kicked for it. The question is, Chris, what the fuck is a Boneyard match? I'm assuming it's Boneyard because it's Tampa Bay, or it's supposed to be Tampa Bay, and they did the whole pirate theme, and it's going to be a graveyard match. But what the fuck is a Boneyard match? And why does it sound like a, a porno? I mean, a boneyard match is just a false count anywhere match that I assume starts in a graveyard, right? I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, and I've never heard of a boneyard match. Um, it's kind of weird having the in between version of Undertaker. If AJ could have waited like one day, he could have uh, really nailed home some promos of Tiger King jokes, since that's the hot shit on the internet right now, right? <laughs> Yes, it would definitely be the hot shit right now. I still haven't seen it. I've, I've heard it's a pretty damn crazy documentary. But next week, he probably should bring that up. But then they'll probably do it like WWE when they bring up stuff that has to do with what's going on in, in, in modern society. And they just make a joke that's so stupid and terribly written. Uh. <laughs> it was a, It's a fucked up documentary. We'll say that. It's a weird one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad everyone's telling me to say this. Uh <laughs> All right, so this is a weird concept. So we have now the Street Profits. They're taking the U.S. title out of the picture at WrestleMania and throwing Andrade and Angel Garza, who a lot of us, I think, assumed was going to be the U.S. title match, and they're putting them against the Street Profits for the tag titles. And really sad, but maybe there's some some brightness around the horizon, Chris. They had Ricochet and Cedric Alexander in a tag team. They did really well together, uh, but obviously they lost, and it's like, God damn it. Don't let these two guys in a tag team be a fucking joke tag team. Put them with MVP. He already talked about, you know, in his promo that he's making his new group. Actually do that. Let him have, like, his own 
like little mini faction, if you will, and let him take Cedric and Ricochet under his wing, or just let him be their manager and try to build them that way. Because I mean, these guys—they're two of two so efficient wrestler, like incredible in the ring, especially Ricochet. He's special, and uh, it sucks having them be the dive guys. But you know, they went against Andrade and Angel, who were who did awesome. I thought the match was was fun, a little short. Uh, but you know, WWE, uh, but really weird that randomly the U S champion Andrade Cien Amos, I'll say his full name if I fucking want to, and Angel Garza are going to be going against the street profits for the titles, but it probably should be a good match. But you know, with one, I think it's Acom's one of them's injured. Um, I don't think that the Viking experience or whatever the hell the Viking Warriors are really working, I guess, with Vince. So probably not a lot of choices, but still kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost a death sentence to ricochet to put him with Cedric Alexander. Like, I feel like that guy's career is pretty much over for now. Um, <laughs> I like Andrade and Angel uh, picking up a win here, and i looking forward to the Street Profits versus them, I guess. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, it was it, the match itself was pretty decent. Like you said, kind of short. A little surprising it was kind of short considering it's like, I don't know, a three-hour fucking show. Uh, <laughs> but tis wrong. There has to be I another guess. promo. Damn it. I, I guess. Yeah. I'm still interested. I'll admit. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll toy around with the concept. Like I said, if you gave MVP the chance to manage two of them as a tag team, I think it would be good. I'm just saying, dude, both those guys, just go, just beg to be back on NXT. You can do that. You can do 205 Live. Both of them are together now until, like, one concept. Defend your titles, have amazing matches with lots of awesome people, and not be fucking underutilized, especially fucking Ricochet. Ugh. <sighs> Anyways. So we have the Tag Team Championship match. Uh, Street Profits won against Shane Thorne and Brandon Vink. Who's Brandon Vink? I have no idea. Yes, Shane Thorne was on a tag team with someone else. I forgot his name as well, and they were called the Mighty. Don't know who the hell this other guy is. Wasn't really important. Montez Ford pinned Thorne after a frog splash. The new guy couldn't even take the fucking pin. Shane Thorne had to. Um, But, yeah, (laughs) how'd you feel about this match? (laughs) I don't know, man. I think maybe they just like were getting whoever they could get to the arena. That's my guess. Um, and maybe they didn't trust this Brandon Vink guy to take us frog splash. Uh, it was fine. I mean, it was a squash match essentially. So uh, it, it's weird that they went back to back because didn't they just brawl to the back and then had a match and then like Andrade and now uh, Andrade and Angel didn't show up during their match. Which to me was a little odd, but whatever. You know, you gotta do what you can, man. You just gotta fucking put the wheels in motion. Um, footage was, or I should say, footage, which is English for footage. Uh, footage was shown of our truth having a referee drive into Riddick Moss's neighborhood so he could come up behind him, schoolboy him, and get the pin and become the twenty-four-seven championship once again. Charlie Caruso interviewed Shayna Baszler in the ring. Shayna basically tried to intimidate her. It was interrupted by Becky Lynch, who snuck up behind Baszler and hit her with a chair a couple times. 
how did you like both of these segments, Chris? Excited for our truth. I think he's a 70th time 24 seven champion. <laughs> uh, I guess we're done with Riddick Moss. That's is that is this the end of Riddick Moss? Is I'm that assuming. Riddick Moss or Chuck Palumbo? I can't tell the difference. <laughs> I think he's done. I think that was. I think that was the end. Um, you know, Becky attacking Shayna. It's fine. It's kind of just is what it is. Um, just setting up the match. Nothing really. I mean, this Raw is kind of very, very lackluster, man. If I'm not if I'm not not lying to myself, it, there was nothing really great on this thing. You don't say. I, I, uh, we had a match next with one of my favorite up-and-coming wrestlers, Mr. Aleister Black, and he went against Leon Ruff. No idea who the fuck Leon Ruff is. This is basically an episode of WWE Superstars from the early 90s where you had all the big wrestlers and all of them were going to beat the, the undercardlings. I hate putting Ricochet in the same fucking category as Leon Ruff, but, I mean, all these are squash matches pretty much for the most part. Um, Alistair Black just destroyed him with a black mask. Black will face Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania for whatever reason. Chris, this is kind of like, you know, if you don't know the answer, I don't expect you to. It's kind of like the, um, whatever the fuck, AJ Styles, the Boneyard match. Why the fuck is Alistair Black going against Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania? I don't know. Where's, uh, Lana? Where's Bobby in the past she's uh, she's gonna be there apparently she's gonna be with him but <laughs> what the fuck like God damn it. <sighs> why not let him and, Bu- and buddy murphy just have another banger like or put him against anyone that is not a fucking giant muscle that i'm not even saying i'm not even trying to kill bobby lashley it's, it's, this is so stupid. It's fucking dumb. Hate <laughs> uh, are they not doing the the battle royal this year? Because I thought that idea would just be like, no. Okay, well there you go. There's your answer. No battle royal. Got to have something for Alistair Black to do. I guess he's gonna destroy Bobby Lashley. Well, it should be interesting. I'm trying to think of like someone that's not doing shit. It's like, well, they're on SmackDown. Who gives a fuck? Put him in an Ali in a in a Raw versus SmackDown match for some fucking reason. Just do it. God damn it. <laughs> I have right. no idea. I mean, you have to be able to think like Buddy Murphy would be a good like him and Seth aren't doing anything together, so you might as well you could have done Buddy Murphy versus Aleister Black. It, that would have been a good match. Banger. Yeah. I mean or I Fucking him and Ricochet. Or, I guess, Rey Mysterio's in quarantine, and so is uh, Dana Brooke. Um, I would have suggested him and Ray. I don't know what the hell that exactly means, but that was what was released. That's why Dana was pulled out of the, uh, the, the women's match. So, whatever that means, hope the best for both of them. Uh, Kevin Owens called out Seth Rollins, who explained that without him, there'd be no NXT or WWE Performance Center or sports on the roster for former independent talents like Owens. He then compared their WrestleMania records and said that when the pressure is on, he becomes a god. Really love this confident promo. KO is one of the best. And uh, a little bit egotistical, but that is Kevin Owens. I don't think he ever strives, babyface or heel, to be anything different from that, you know? 
No, I mean, you have to look at it as, as what everything that Seth has done up to this point. So it's just a cocky promo. Um, weird to compare WrestleMania records. You know, get the Undertaker could just come out and be like, really? You guys, you guys being serious right now? But uh, yeah, I thought the promo itself was fine. Um, I guess the God thing is a take on Seth being the Messiah. I assume they just had to force that in there. But outside of that, I mean, dude, I'm really down on this episode. If you can't tell. (laughs) Yep. I mean, we're all getting towards, we're trying to get to the end basically. And even the end, I mean, it was fine, but after that it was still long to get through. But anyways, they showed a match with Oscar and Charlotte Flair from WrestleMania 34 in its entirety. Afterwards, Flair was interviewed about how she makes history at WrestleMania and will be the first woman to win the NXT Women's Championship at WrestleMania 36. Woo! Um, I always thought that was... It's funny because that year, it was a lot of flat matches, but the two matches that were the best were, to me, the Asuka-Charlotte match and then the Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle versus Triple H and Stephanie match, and which is, I think a big reason is because those ones were kind of called... I think it might have lent itself to helping build credibility for a future, you know, main event spot they did the next year. But I always liked that match, and I I like Charlotte, man. She's uh, she's awesome, man. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, you would think they would keep it on Rhea Ripley, but if you keep Charlotte on NXT, it's going to get more eyes, or I would think so. I actually, now thinking about it, I don't really know if that's that's true or not, but I would assume it would be more than would be on it than if she wasn't on the product. But how'd you like the match and the breakdown afterwards with Miss Charlotte Flair? I love the match. I mean, it's it's probably was my favorite match from that card. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the full card. But, I mean, from what I recall, that was one of the better matches on the entire damn thing. I remember being surprised by the Ronda Rousey uh Ronda Rousey match simply because they let her and Triple H kind of work in the ring together, which was really good. Um, shit, I'm gonna pull up that card real quick. Let's see, uh, Naomi. Yeah, I'm curious too. Taker versus John Cena. Undertaker just Ugh. squashed him in two minutes. Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, which that's the one Is that where. Good? That was good because Shane McMahon just died. So it was just Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, And then we had Lesnar versus Roman Reigns in a 15-minute match. Nakamura versus AJ Styles. Man, this card is a little rough. We had Jinder Paul beat Randy Orton, Bobby Roode, and Rusev. Remember when Jinder Hall was a thing? <laughs> um, Seth Rollins versus The Miz and Finn Balor? Triple that was a match. good match. That was a triple threat intercontinental title match. On, I think it was a ladder match. That was actually pretty good. Yeah, so, I mean, there was some decent stuff on here, but this is a very weak Mania card. It also gave us the great match of uh, Braun Strowman and Nicholas beating Cesaro oh. and Sheamus. God, in four, four minutes. Seamus <laughs> yes, afterwards looked at Cesaro with such, like, eat shit eyes, and Cesaro probably had no idea why. 
I was like, <laughs> the Bludgeon Brothers. <laughs> the Bludgeon Brothers defeated the Usos in the New Day. So keeping Luke Harper in the news <laughs> here on the Wrestling Geeks Alliance podcast. Um, yeah. Out, out of those matches, I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> stand by uh, Charlotte and Asuka probably being the best one on that card. If I, Without going back and watching all of these, that was probably the best match on this, on this entire card. And this was at yeah, a time I, where Asuka was still undefeated, I believe. Yeah, that one, that year, that one was my favorite. The IC match with the three of those dudes, even The Miz was really good in that match. I remember that. And then the Ronda match for the spectacle, I think, were the three ones I liked the most. And then everything else was kind of like AJ Styles with Shinsuke. That sequel should have been way fucking better and ended up someone getting hit in the dick. And now Shinsuke has been a flat heel and they changed up one of the coolest things about him with his music. Yeah, and this is where that this is where they kind of squashed it because AJ won the title. Um, but they gave them 20 minutes. But I don't remember that match being very good even with the time it was given if i'm being completely honest let's just say it was definitely a step down from the wrestle kingdom uh what was it 12 or 13 match um (laughs) jesus but i'll I'll say this charlotte promo afterwards it fits with her character and i thought it was very well done it was good to plug it in after this match with oscar and charlotte um, it did make me very sad because it reminded me that Oscar at one point was defeated and working in a fucking prime time WrestleMania match with Charlotte Flair. Yeah, that was the year that they could have had a Japanese woman. They had them both win the Royal Rumble, her and Shinsuke, and either one of them won. It was like, oh, okay, never mind. Well, we almost did it. That's cool. Uh, um, what the hell was I going to say? Do you think Charlotte should win or do you think it should stay on Rhea Ripley and put her over to build her? Well, unless they're planning on pulling Rhea up, I think Rhea needs to win, right? Do you think it would be beneficial to keep Charlotte on NXT, basically? No, not really. And I don't I don't believe that they would stick with her on NXT long enough to give anyone a rub. That's like okay. it's like kind of Vince's fallback heel to insert into any storyline. So I'm assuming that she's probably gonna lose here and Rhea will just go back to NXT until she loses the title. To hopefully Bianca Belair, if they haven't already elevated her to something. Um, I mean, I love NXT, but it, Bianca's it's kind of like Velveteen Dream. They're they're both someone that I it's I feel like they're meant for SmackDown or Raw, you know, as opposed to NXT, where I don't mind seeing someone who I reflect on a similar level, just in different thing. Obviously, work rate compared to performance, like a Ricochet. I'd like to see him back in NXT. Does that make sense, Chris? Yeah, I mean, but they have tons of great females that they could move the title to on NXT. That's good. Yeah. Well, have to be sure. Missy Shirai. Missy Shirai's yeah. back. So tons of good stuff they could do there. It just, you know, it makes sense. You know, if you're trying to put Rhea over as the next big thing, she should win at Mania. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go that route. Um, it is just a title match with there's no DQ, so you could just do a fuck finish. It's interesting. All right, so we had Randy Orton coming out. He accepted Edge's challenge for the last man standing match at WrestleMania, and he said he'll write the last chapter of Edge's career. It's a good promo. I wish I went over this beforehand since I haven't seen it since Monday. Like I said, it was a bit sluggish. I thought Randy Orton was great. 
has been within this. He, it's not like he lost a beat, but the slow the show became very slow, and towards the end, I was getting tired. And I'm glad that they've gone on with this. Maybe see one more confrontation next week, and they've already probably filmed their match, so hopefully it looks really well. The one thing I say is the advantage of filming, if no one fucking leaks WrestleMania somehow, and you can find out who does it in your staff real quickly because of how many people. It's very limited this time. Um, no one leaks it out. They can keep on going back and making this look fucking perfect. And I don't even give a shit if they shoot it like a movie and try something different to make it look better. Do what you got to do. If you're going to do it, at least do it to the top level. I, God damn it. Vince McMahon's going to try to make a giant movie. It's going to be like a Michael Bay film. I'm scared. I'm getting the sweats, Chris. Uh, how would you feel about this Randy Orton promo? Oh man, I thought the promo was very good. It is your typical methodical Randy Orton, and it probably would have came off a little bit better midway through the show. I understand why they saved it to the end, <laughs> just to keep us watching because the show was a bunch of nothing um, outside of you know two pay per view matches we've seen in the past. Um, yeah, I don't know. Good promo. Looking forward to it. I love the new tagline they're doing for WrestleMania, which is too big for just one night. And I was like, yeah, that's that's what's happening. They got to spin it their way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's such a WWE thing. Too big for just one night. It's like, OK, whatever you guys say, bud. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go over. So basically, guys, give me a breakdown. Uh, we're going to go over AEW Dynamite from last night, and I'm going to save the review for NXT along with SmackDown uh, for Saturday show. We might have something else. Well, we could t- possibly talk about later on that I had an idea of doing um, also on Saturday, but we're going to be reviewing those then. Let's get to AEW and be able to go pretty in-depth with this show. thought the show was really well done. Uh, th- we didn't have Jim Ross or... Um, or Orc Scalibur Taz there. Instead, they basically had Tony Schiavone uh, with Cody and Kenny most of the time, switching in and out. And, uh, well, they both had matches, basically. And uh, it was really nice. I'm, I'm loving Tony, don't get me wrong, in this new Mean Gene approach. I, I really like it. But hearing him do the color commentary, the breakdown stuff that JR and Excalibur kind of go back and forth with, um, that now he kind of highlights and adds to it when he's commentating with them. To hear him do the play-by-play, he didn't know every move name. I don't expect him to, you know, so don't give him a hard fucking time like every, like people do to JR. But I thought it was, it was fun. It, it, it uh, brought back reminiscent of, of my youth, if you will, very similar to when JR's doing it. But um, anyways, it was nice to see them. They were... Uh, they were, you know, just kind of going back and forth before the match, and they introduced a match with Cody and Jimmy Havoc. Before we get the go there, I should say, Chris, how'd you like uh, the opening with Tony, Cody, and Kenny? And how'd you like Tony uh, providing more of the uh, the play-by-play commentary uh, tonight or last night, I should say, on Dynamite? I liked it for the most part. I mean, I I, I kind of enjoy when they do the mix-up of the. Uh announcers it was fun to see cody and kenny omega on commentary as well um obviously it's not going to be the same play-by-play you're getting from excalibur but i didn't think it really hindered the show at all um especially if i'm comparing it to monday night raw (laughs) so from that standpoint you know commentary didn't bother me it did give you kind of a nostalgic feel with tony Schiavone being there most of the night um 
So yeah, I, I liked it for the most part. All right, so another person. <sighs> I feel like Jim Cornette whenever I do this. Another person has changed my view of him uh, with the last couple of matches I've seen him in and the fact that I think he put on a little bit of muscle. And that's Mr. Jimmy Havoc. So like Marco Stunt and Orange Cassidy before him, I have become a Jimmy Havoc fan. Um, it's it's I'm just not the biggest hardcore guy. I just thought his look was a bit bizarre. I thought his entrance look was cooler than his actual look. Um, it's kind of like if you had Jason come out and they took off his mask and it was Elmo. Like it just wouldn't work out too well. Maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. That seems like a weird <laughs> I don't know what's more terrifying, an Elmo the size of Jason or Jason. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, but yeah, so so Jimmy's worked on me. I thought that this match was really good between the two of them. Um, Cody ended up getting a little bit aggressive in it, kind of losing it. I don't know if that's going to be a part of this, that he's like getting too intense. But he beat him with two crossroads, and and Jimmy was knocked out the first time, but he was just trying to like – make sure but they had a great match jimmy's got the the british style grappling hooker and when i say hooker i don't mean prostitute like a like a grappling hooker uh that comes and connects from europe and britain basically and he's good at it and uh he's tall like i said i think he's seems like he's leaned out like he's added a little bit of weight to him and uh him and cody had a good match uh, after the match, Jake Roberts appeared on the video screen, mocked Cody, and Brandy Rhodes referred to her as the the Monica to uh, Cody's Bill. Um, whoa! First to Cleopatra and fucking and and Caesar, <laughs> and then he had to go that way. That was pretty funny. And said Lance Archer wants a match. Cody went back to the commentary desk and said Archer has no body of work in the U.S. and that he can't just debut against him. Archer will have his first AEW match next week. Good stuff by Jake Roberts, man. Like I said, a legend. And helping out Lance more so than he even knows just right off the bat. How did you like the match with Cody and Jimmy Havoc, and how did you like the promo with Jake afterwards? I thought the the Jake promo was great. Three weeks in a row, he's put out some really, really good promos, and these video packages are pretty cool. Um, the match I thought was pretty good. I mean, it was a squash match, mostly just to show some dominance from Cody. And like you said, to be a bit aggressive because he is getting kind of called out by everyone left, uh, left and right, you know, it seems like. So this just is him asserting dominance a little bit. Didn't have a problem with it. I, I can see what you're saying about Jimmy Havoc as far as he he's, looks like he may have put on a, a bit of muscle, etc. which is good for him. Um, I, I've kind of always liked Jimmy Havoc. Um, they leaned a little too much into the hardcore stuff with him and Darby Allen the first few weeks, but it, it seems like they've settled it down a bit in a uh, good spot. It'll be interesting to see what they actually do with him. Is he always going to be kind of this mid-card guy, or if they're going to try to do something interesting with him? That's the big thing, I guess, the question mark for Jimmy Havoc. But the Jake the Snake promo was great, and uh, I'm assuming Cody's just going to book him in a match against QT Marshall <laughs> since QT's like the squash guy. Next week, because whoever Lance Archer faces, he's going to be squashing, I'm assuming. He's going to get his ass kicked. Hey, QT, you're one of my best friends. You want to get your ass kicked? Uh, have you talked <laughs> to Brandon Cutler? What's Brandon Cutler doing? What is, does he want to do it? Uh, I mean, I, I, don't know who else he would, 
I mean, unless because you're they're not going to put him against someone like Darby Allen. You know what I mean? No. For an it, you know, they're going to put him against someone he could squash. And uh, like we saw, like Brody Lee later in the night, he just squashes QT Marshall. So I'm assuming it's probably just QT's just going to be that guy for a while. Hey, whatever, whatever to get your paycheck, bro. All right, so we had Mr. Darby Allen going against Kip Sabian. Uh, I thought it was a good match. Um, really not looking good for Kip Sabian when it comes to him and his relationship with his girlfriend. They look like they're already trying to break them up, like she's realizing like he's the weaker link, which is something we all kind of said. Um, but Kip Sabian's still a damn good, efficient in-ring performer, but he's kind of, in, in, at least in the booking, kind of being made to look like the bitch. Um, Darby Allen's fucking awesome, man. His ferocity, it's just, he makes it believable that he's like 10 times the size that he actually is just by how intense he is in the ring and how crisp he is. And we've said this a million times and you've heard another comparison from someone pretty up in, I would say, AEW's, uh, you know, uh, list of, of, of people in charge with Mr. Cody Rhodes saying, doesn't he remind you, Tony, of staying back in the day? You see all the kids now with the makeup. That persona, I think he is going to always kind of have that connection with Jeff Hardy and Sting, but I don't think that's a bad thing because they're not, like I said, they're not overusing it. He's not stylistically, and it's not like a direct drag on. It's just like a similar concept, this mystic hero figure that's just badass and, you know, kids love him. And it's it's uh, it's pretty cool, man. And I, I hope that he doesn't hate game compared to Sting and Jeff Hardy because those are big shoes to fucking fill either way. But like I said, man, Darby outstanding. He won with this new move that's like not even a move I can do on a fucking video game called The Last Supper in which he basically does like an inverted Indian deathlock and then turns it and cranks him into like a uh, kind of like a roll-up. Like it was it was, it was was weird, but uh, that was very innovative. Never seen a submission into a, a roll-up. That was, uh, was kind of cool. Yeah, I thought that was really a really nifty finisher and good for him to have in his arsenal being a smaller guy. So I hope they continue to try to get that over. Because if he can just turn that and leave it into a submission, there's a, an out for maybe going against some larger wrestlers similar to, you know, Chris Benoit or uh, like Daniel Bryan. Any any of the smaller wrestlers that had like this go-to finisher that they could lock in at any point in time and that they could put you out with that, even if they couldn't knock you out because you were a big, strong, huge dude. Um, so I hope they keep trying to put that over because I thought it was really unique. And uh, it also means that he doesn't have to cough and drop each week if he doesn't want to, which is just kind of a crazy-ass move to begin with. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a very good match. I like Kip Sabian. I do agree with you. I think they are trying. They are leaning towards the the breakup storyline, and uh, I don't know. We'll see see what happens. Is he still feuding with Joey Janela at this point? They didn't really play up that, but I, I know that they haven't really killed that feud off yet either. I'm not sure with Joey Janela. He might. I think Joey Janela just doesn't know what the hell's going on, and he just keeps on like dumping rubbing alcohol. Or maybe actual just just vodka all over himself, try to stay away from the coronavirus because he's he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of a gross individual. <laughs> he just he just looks dirty. You're like I've been a little before. What the fuck? Uh, some fat slob. So what what are you gonna do? Yeah, uh, yeah. But the match was really good, and I, I thought uh, 
Cody pointing out that he's, you know, reminds him of Sting and then him hitting a submission seems to be kind of telling of what the future might hold for Mr. Darby Allen. He's definitely yeah, I the just, most over people roster. So I, I just love the submission because, you know, he can use it as a normal submission and he actually used it as a way to fucking package them. Like I thought that was actually like using a submission to tie up their legs so then you can pin them because they're fucked. Like that was kind of a cool, unique concept behind it, but now it gives them a submission and something a little bit different, all mixed into one. You know? Yeah, and and like I said, especially if he's going to get someone like you know a uh, guy we're about to talk about, Jake Hagar, or one of these bigger dudes, uh, it gives him kind of an out where it doesn't make the other guy necessarily look weak if they just get caught in a submission. And if they build that submission up and it's done right, um, and this is in WWE, so hopefully it will be. <laughs> You have a believable finish for someone the size of Darby Allen. Well, let's so, like you were saying, we got Jack Hagar going against Chico Adams, another guy. Uh, hey, you know, between the the dude that we were talking about on Raw and Chico Adams, goodbye, you man. If if your wrestler is up and coming, if you're willing to, you know, put yourself out there with what's going on and stuff like that to get a little bit of airtime, even if you're gonna get your ass kicked by Jack Hagar. That's good, man. I, I want I want wrestlers to do well in the industry. So that's exposure. It is. But uh, Hager uh, won by submission with a head and arm choke after the match. John Moxley attacked Hager in a backstage interview. Moxley said that when they face off for the AEW Championship, Hager will get carted out on a stretcher, or Moxley will die trying. Good job, Moxley. Shit, man. Didn't know that they were even in a feud, but hey, man. You know. I think Moxley was still pissed, obviously, with, with Hager from before. Uh, but they should have a good match. And, uh, you know, another good person to get a notch, I, I would think, on uh, Mr. Moxley's belt uh, in his championship run. And piss off Mr. Jericho. Yeah, I loved the uh, Moxley promo where he's basically, he says he's either going to cart it out or Moxley's going to die trying, which is fits in with moxley's character and the, the the squash match the squash match itself was fine um hager obviously pulling up some of the his mixed martial arts with the submission that he put on which i don't necessarily have a problem with i i'm assuming that they're setting up the fact that moxley might get trapped in this thing and have to crazily fight his way out at some point in their match which will be fun to watch but uh yeah it's a good little match and i like the moxley promo all right, so the next thing is pretty interesting. Uh, it was a promo um, from <laughs> it was, from the Dark it was a Order fucking parody of a real life person. That's what it was. It was a promo, and dude, I fucked up, man. I didn't even I didn't even realize that while it was happening until people started going into it, and I was like, "Oh my god, you're right." Uh, so Luke Harper, aka now Brody Lee. Um, he was with the Dark Order. He was eating with his, that tag team. I forgot what the hell the names of them are. Um, and uh, not 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 Evil Uno and, and Saget from Street Fighter with the beard, but the other two tag team guys, uh, the ones that don't wear their masks uh, for some reason. Either way, he's eating at table, and he's just going over stuff that he doesn't like and what he's going to be doing within this. And he's eating a steak, uh, rare, and he won't let... So basically, one of them tries to go eat the piece of the steak, and, you know, Brody Lee, who's in a suit, 
like, you know, should be noted in this, uh, tells him, like, tells him to get out of there, basically, because he can't believe, you know, that you try eating before he was done. And so these hungry guys, you know, kicks one of them out and he kicks the other one out for sneezing. Chris, I swear to God, I th- I thought they were going for, um, what's his name? Or, uh, God damn it, uh, Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood. I really thought it was <laughs> that, and maybe there's still that somewhere in there, but that was definitely a parody of a certain man named Vince <laughs> McMahon. And apparently WWE, from what the internet says, I didn't really look into articles to find out who the hell sourced it they're not happy about this yeah, well, um, there's nothing they could do about it because it wasn't a direct thing i mean that that's the famous story is it jim Cornette that tells the famous story of uh, how vince sees sneezing as a sign of weakness isn't that where God. that was sourced from originally yep. so as soon as it happened i was like <laughs> that's fucking hilarious but I think I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Jim Cornette that circulated that. I don't know. I mean, it may even just be a rumor, but it's one of those ones that's kind of stuck with Vince over the years and, and fits kind of what we know as crazy man Vince, um, which is that he sees sneezing as a sign of weakness. Like, I feel I felt dumb today, but... Do you get my Daniel Plainview reference? It, it came off to me like there will be blood. And then all of a sudden the next day when people start breaking it down, I was like, I'm such a fucking idiot. Like, how the hell did I not know? It was obviously Vince McMahon, but there was something about the cadence in his voice and how when he was talking directly while he was eating, like certain like little things. And I guess I just watched the movie recently for the first time in a very long time. So it was in my head, but I got like a Daniel Plainview. I hope he did like, I like this character that he's creating, but maybe like lay off on the Vincisms, maybe kind of go it more into that. I don't know. Very interesting way to take the Dark Order, regardless. It was a, yeah, it was a, I mean, it wasn't a spot on one for one impersonation or anything. I just, you know, the people that are going to be commenting about this on the internet are going to be the people that know the, probably the Jim Cornette story of like seeing sneezing as a sign of weakness in the weird way Vince eats steak, etc. So the fact they played that in there was a little poke at Vince and also a shout-out to, I guess, the internet fans, in a way. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Ah, anyways, Mr. Brody Lee, who had on different um, different outfit, I, looked, I thought it looked a lot better. Uh, the, I like the straight black uh, with the designs that he had on it. Um, then the purple one that he had previously the week before. Just like a little thing, but Brody Lee came out and he went against QT Marshall, like you said, and QT was sacrificed to the leader, the Exalted One of the Dark Order. The Exalted One won with the Rolling Lariat with a Sister Abigail setup, so I guess he is going to do that. I, I'm, I'm assuming that was like, I want to pay a little bit of tribute to you, mind if I do that sort of thing, because I don't think, it doesn't sound like from either end that there's any problems between the two or hostility, so maybe that's a slow cap of the hat. But either way, after the match, the Dark Order left a mask for QT. Ooh, uh, maybe he accepts it, and maybe they're gonna get all the jabrones. Like they're gonna get Brandon Cutler, and they're gonna get, and they're gonna turn them into badasses. And that's the whole point. Let's get all of that. Librarian, librarian will be a badass. Uh, how how'd you like this match, Chris? Who's the librarian's uh, manager? I'm gonna think of her uh, name. Leva Bates. Yeah, they're going to get Leva Bates in there as well. 
There's no so, girls in the Dark Order beautiful. yet. <laughs> um, I do. <dude. laughs> He just absolutely destroyed this guy. I was fine with it. I like the setup. I, I do like kind of a call out to the WWE. We'll, we'll see what happens next week. I hope they don't get too heavy handed with it. Because at some point you're just promoting the other show in a way. Exactly. You know what I mean? So right now I'm like okay I want him to blow off some steam. Exactly. I want him to blow off some steam, but you know, just you don't get heavy handed with it, basically. Yeah, and I mean that—that's what I was kind of getting at last Saturday. Is like if I'd been fucked over for the amount of months that he was, and they were like, "Do you want to make fun of Vince?" I'd probably be like, "Fuck yeah, why not?" <laughs> I would just also keep in mind that you're slightly burning bridges <laughs> in case you ever have to go back there for some reason. Oh uh, yeah, keep keep that in mind. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, so far, I like it. I like what they're doing with Brody Lee. I do like your comparison from There Will Be Blood. Um, definitely, they dazzled in a lot of disms, and, uh, which upset some people, and some people really thought was hilarious. Yeah, just get the fuck over it. If he would have been like, for doing that, you're a fan. If he did that, if he was that on the nose by it, but even someone like me, and I'm a fucking wrestling mark, I didn't even notice it until someone called out all the individual details and based it on stories of Vince beforehand. I was completely convinced. I was like, oh, okay, this is really cool. Like, you know, you, you hear certain wrestlers like like Matt Hardy said that he got inspired by True Blood for the, the character of the broken heart. You know, oh, maybe well, maybe he was watching like There Will Be Blood not too long ago like I did. No, he was kind of parodying Vince. And it was I thought it was fucking hilarious. I thought it was pretty awesome. I watched it a second time at work. I mean, I was working the whole entire time, boss, I promise. All right, uh, let's move on, now that I've been so honest. Uh, so now it gets to the <laughs> point where I cannot wait to hear the review for this from Jim Cornette, because he's, you know, it, it's one of the, the last couple things I do with listening to him, because uh, with NXCNA, uh, he's he's honest, but he watches it, and I think he enjoys it more. Like, he's actually put over someone like Darby Allen, which is kind of crazy, and you would never think that, but... Uh, you know, between the Luke Harper stuff with Vanguard one, we had a little segment and then the ending just and I loved it. I don't really give a fuck, but I'm just very curious um, because I have nothing else to do at work and I have to listen to podcasts because there's so little. I mean, anyways. Hey, guys, how's it going? Uh, so Matt Hardy's drone Vanguard one blue flew to Rancho Cucamonda and they actually like gave it to him like their West Coast. Uh, th- here's our West Coast analysis noting like shot to Vanguard One uh, who flew to Rancho Cucamonga to spy on Nick Jackson who was like ninja turtling it up man training getting back ready to get towards the ring I thought it was a really cool use of this um, you know after we get to the AAA match we're about to go into the craziness that happened with Jericho and Matt Hardy at the end but uh, how did you like this little segment Chris? Very entertaining. I'm so glad to have Vanguard 1 back in my life. Also, the choice of Rancho Cucamongo as a <laughs> as a spot where this guy's not injured, recovering from injury, happened to be. Uh, made me laugh a lot. I, I like it. I like this whole segment. I fucking love crazy, broken Matt Hardy. It's the best. All right, so then we had the AAA Mega Championship match with... Hey, Chris, did you know that Kenny Omega was the AAA Mega Champion? 
<laughs> he was, by the way. Did she he didn't win? <laughs> didn't he win it like eight months ago or some shit? Dude, yeah, he won it. Who did he beat? I think he, he beat Phoenix because Phoenix won it at Triple Mania, and um, yeah, he he beat him. And I think he's gone over there a couple times, but that's about it. And he he won against um, who the fuck did he go on AEW Dark for the title? I want to say it might have been Kip Sabian. They had a pretty good match. I honestly thought they were gonna, you know, it's not like Kenny hasn't taken any losses in the past. Maybe just put it on Sammy. Because he actually works also, or no, he works with AAA more so than even Kenny, the champ, and he could actually bring it back and kind of utilize it a bit more in Mexico. Uh, but they had a good match, man. Um, I think that Sammy is fucking just phenomenal, man. You know, you you think it's it's hard for someone like Darby Allen to be compared to Sting and Jeff Hardy, the two people that every fucking person, big wrestling or or analysis, usually say. Young Eddie Guerrero, young Shawn Michaels. Like, my God, the guy's got so much charisma. I think that Chris Jericho is really helping him out, um, zoning on stuff. Remember the first time we kind of saw him with the the Dark Order? He had his tongue sticking out, acting all weird. And now he's just adding so many layers. And even though, yes, he takes a lot of L's, I just feel like he's he's right there with Darby and a couple of other ones where it's like, you know, some of the, the future talents um, that we're going to be, you know, they're going to be legends of their generation, basically. And uh, him and Kenny had a damn good match. One of Kenny's uh, better matches since being on this, along with the uh, the Iron Man match that he had with Pac. Um, but Kenny won with the One Wing Angel, and that was the end of the match. Chris, how did you like this match? I thought the match itself was really, really good. But I just was completely blown away by Jericho and Matt Hardy at the end of the show. Jesus <laughs> like, Christ. Jericho offering Vanguard one a spot in the inner circle and then flying away. (laughs) And then Matt Hardy using the power of teleportation (laughs) to uh, badly teleport down to the ring. Um, Man, (laughs) this is full on what I wanted them to do with Hardy in WWE. And, uh, He's going to make them pay for it with all his craziness, but it's been so great. Him talking about having the essence of Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. being possessed by Damascus and being like 3,000 years, 5,000 years old or whatever. Dude, it's so great. So, since we haven't gone over that segment yet, basically, did you, you, you did like the match for the AAA? Make a championship. Yeah, the match. The match was really good. I think it was easily the best match on the show. Um, I kind of wanted a little bit more out of it, just because yeah. I, I love Sammy Guevara and Kenny Omega. But it wasn't a bad match by any means. Um, definitely a solid ass TV match. Um, I probably need to go back and rewatch it. But uh, to, to me, the highlight of the show was just completely Mowardy. Yeah, this whole entire segment at the end, man. You 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 said it, and it just. What wackiness. I mean, the fact that Jericho was trying to, like you said, get Vanguard 1 to join the inner circle and um, just having a full conversation with a drone, definitely doing that. And then they did the Matt Hardy thing that a lot of us have done when we were kids where we took like a camcorder and we record it and have a person move bunch, but then he comes up in the arena. So now Matt Hardy can teleport. Um, 
this didn't really work for uh, Brian and Dave when they, they went over this. They thought it was a little bit too weird, but I thought it was great. And I think given the circumstance of the, the setting that they're in, they don't have any fucking audience people anyways. I think it's fun to kind of mess with this type of shit. I want, Chris, some type of damn reenactment with the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan where Ultimate Warrior appears in the fucking mirror and scares the shit out of Hulk. I forgot what the hell he said in the damn segment. But some of the silliest, stupidest shit. And I feel like their relationship's going to be a lot like that because Matt Hardy is one of the weirdest, like, characters ever in wrestling, I would say. Uh, that would be fucking awesome if they did that. I know exactly what segment you're talking about, but I can't remember the details of it. Um, as far as it not working for Brian and, and uh, Dave... I don't know that they were really super into the Matt Hardy broken stuff beforehand. I don't know. I think it's perfectly goofy enough, specifically with Jericho, who's really good at playing a cornball, but also a sleazy heel. Like to me, it worked and I thought it was great. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, that, that was pretty much AW guys. And, uh, that's going to be our show for tonight. And, uh, Really enjoyed the wrestling. I was really happy from for everything that's going on. As a little side thing, it was nice to be able to use my two TV screens to fill them up with AEW and NXT and watch two fun wrestling shows, give it all that they can, given the circumstances. And I am happy for that. You know, I am going, I don't like, I'm not trying to be like, you know, Mr. Over happy about everything, but we could have nothing. We could have no fucking wrestling to watch whatsoever right now. And we actually have something still. They're they're both like looking. I'm assuming AEW might be doing this too, but hey, but WWE's has been filming WrestleMania and a bunch of Raw and SmackDowns leading up. So hey, I I just appreciate the fact that during this time period we still get this form of entertainment in some way, and I love talking about it with you guys. It was fun in a really really bizarre, more therapeutic way to talk about the uh, the Benoit, uh, you know documentary with you guys and me and chris to be able to provide a little bit of content and give you our review and and uh you know uh fun stuff we got a another fun show saturday as long as something doesn't happen you know where one of us gets tied up most likely we're gonna do our show at noon est and like i said we'll go over nxt we'll go over smackdown and i had an idea chris i'll, I'll pass to you and if you don't want to do it we can figure out something else but you know, I loved our Hall of Fame thing. I thought it was a lot of fun. I realized afterwards we did not do any tag teams. So maybe do the same thing to get five tag teams on there. We can kind of alternate that uh, when we do them back and forth. Yeah. Do we submit a list of 10 this time or a list of five? That's the real question. Tag teams may be a little harder for a full-on list of 10 right off the rip. Yeah. Oh, we can figure it out, you know. I'm sure there's still enough tag teams. See, yeah, we might want to try to do a shorter thing. Well, maybe we'll cut in half um, and do it from there. But yes, I'm totally down. I think that was a lot of fun last weekend. Make sure you go check out that episode. We should have this posted up shortly. And uh, like you said, another another show Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun. We get to talk about NXT and uh, what is this? The second to last SmackDown or the yeah the second to last SmackDown before WrestleMania. So we'll see what they uh, give us with Goldberg, I guess. 
Uh, anyone who wants to reach out to me, you can get me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter and at, or not at, but Christopher.r.patton on Facebook. And uh, everyone be safe and have a great week, man. And you can find me at, at DaneElves42, I believe, at Twitter and DaneElves on Facebook. And uh, check out geekvibesnation.com. That's geekvibesnation, geek as in you, vibes as in happiness and good spirits, and nation as in all of us together. Uh, check that website out. You know, we have news articles for comics, comic book movies, wrestling, a lot of different geek-related uh, items, and then links to our Facebook, our Twitter, and our Instagram at geekvibesnation. Check all those out. You can find links. I always forget that we don't do this live because we just started doing this through Skype, but um, you'll find our shows usually released, um, I'm assuming, Thursday night through Friday for our Thursday shows, and then probably Saturday through Sunday for the Saturday recorded show. But if you guys want to listen to them on sound platforms, we're on pretty much all of them, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, search it up at Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Guys, be safe out there. You know, stay the fuck away from each other. Wash your hands, wash your ass, and let the Geek Vibes be with you. Peace out.